You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. The toys from our childhood stay with us long after we stop playing with them. As adults, we may lose track of a beloved stuffed animal or a fun action figure, but we keep the memories. We remember how safe they made us feel in a darkened bedroom, or how much fun we had zooming them around the house as if they were flying. And yet, no matter what, we all grow up and leave childish things behind. But thanks to one man's impulsive decision, we learned we don't have to let the past slip away. Not only can we hold on to it, but we can share it with the people we love and keep that joy alive for generations to come. Harry Colburn was born in Birmingham, England in 1887. When he was 18 years old, he moved to Ontario, Canada, where he studied to become a veterinarian surgeon. Upon receiving his degree, he settled in Winnipeg in Manitoba, but duty would eventually call. Harry joined the military when World War I became too great to ignore, and he hopped a train to Quebec for basic training. It was on his way to the camp when he encountered an odd sight. A hunter had killed a black bear and taken its cub to sell at a local trading post. Harry gave the man $20, and in exchange, he took possession of the bear cub, which he named Winnipeg, after the town where he'd been living. His plan was to raise Winnipeg for a little while before releasing her back into the forest. Unfortunately, Harry's plans changed very quickly. Winnipeg became a hit among the other troops. They played with her and let her stay in the bunks where she slept under Harry's cot. As she grew, however, Winnipeg got too big to live indoors and was relegated to outside, like a kind of watch bear for the soldiers. The more time they spent together, the harder it became for Harry to let go. He and Winnipeg had grown close, so close that when he was ordered to go back to England to fight on the Western Front, he refused to release the bear back into the wild. He instead snuck her into the ship with the other troops. Together, they traveled to the 2nd Canadian Infantry Brigade camp near Stonehenge in England. Harry let her roam free for a while while they were there. She enjoyed playing among the large stones, but he soon understood that he would have to give her up. There was just no way for Winnipeg to go all the way with him to the front lines. So he reached out to the London Zoo, who agreed to watch her while he was away. Whenever Harry found himself on leave, though, he made sure to stop by the zoo and say hello to the bear that had kept him company during training. At the end of the war, Harry Colburn returned to the zoo, only to see that a lot had changed while he was gone. For one, Winnipeg was a star attraction by then. She brought joy to so many guests, especially the children, and so instead of taking her back to Canada, he chose instead to leave her there at the zoo. In 1918, Winnipeg the Bear became a permanent fixture at the London Zoo. 
A few years later, a young boy named Christopher with his father, Alan, visited Winnipeg the Bear. Alan had started out as a writer before enlisting to fight in World War I. When Christopher turned one years old, his father gifted him with a teddy bear that became like a best friend to the child, not unlike the relationship between Winnipeg and Harry. Alan went on to write some detective stories and mystery novels over the years, but at the urging of his son, he eventually turned to writing children's books. Christopher insisted that his father write about the stuffed toys that he played with daily. There was a donkey, a mother kangaroo and her baby, a bouncing orange tiger, and a small pink piglet. Alan squeezed them all in, along with the character of a young boy he named after his son, Christopher Robin Milne. Of course, the author couldn't forget about the most important character of all, the teddy bear Christopher had named after the Canadian black bear at the London Zoo, Winnie. Alan Alexander Milne didn't know it at the time, but his stories about Winnie the Pooh, Tigger, Piglet, and the other residents of the Hundred Acre Woods would become some of the most beloved characters in all of children's literature. And it was all thanks to one cunning soldier and his pet bear. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. The Olympic Games are demonstrations of athletic greatness. Medals are awarded to individuals who test their medal against some of the best athletes in the world. What we tend to forget, though, is that the Olympics are also about overcoming adversity. Track and field star Wilma Rudolph won three gold medals at the 1960 Olympics in Rome, but she had to fight hard to get there. When she was five years old, Rudolph was diagnosed with polio and was forced to wear a leg brace for several years. 70-year-old Hiroshi Hoketsu from Japan competed in individual dressage at the 2012 Olympics. He was up against much younger competitors. Hiroshi might not have won a medal, but he showed that age is just a number when it comes to being good at something you love. But Elizabeth Robinson might have them all beat. Elizabeth, or Betty as she was known, was born in Riverdale, Illinois back in 1911, and from a young age, Betty had no problem proving herself as a runner. She attended Thornton Township High School, which was a short train ride away from her home. 
One morning, the 16-year-old junior left her home to catch the train, only to realize that she was running late. She had to act quickly or risk missing it and being late for school. Betty bolted toward the station. Meanwhile, one of her teachers, a man named Charles Price, was also waiting for the train. He caught sight of Betty running toward him as it pulled into the stop. Price turned away and boarded. The doors closed, and assuming that she hadn't been fast enough to catch it, he found a seat and settled in. A few seconds later, Price watched as Betty took the seat right next to him. The teacher also happened to be the coach for the boys' track team at the school, and he suggested that Betty run some sprints in the halls while he timed her. The school didn't have a girls' track team, and honestly, Betty didn't even know such a thing existed. But that didn't stop Price from training her, and it didn't stop Betty from pushing herself harder and harder. Her parents, used to seeing her with a guitar in her hand or on stage at a school play, began watching her race instead. They cheered her on as she competed in regional races before moving on to Olympic trials in Chicago and New Jersey. After four months of training and only a few meets under her belt, Betty earned a spot at the 1928 U.S. Olympic team. She traveled to Amsterdam, where she competed in the first-ever women's 100-meter race. Betty narrowly beat out the Canadian challenger and took home the gold at only 16 years old. She achieved two things that day. Betty had become the first woman to win a gold medal for the 100-meter race, and she set a world record by doing it in 12.2 seconds. After graduating from high school, Betty attended Northwestern, and she started preparing for the next Olympic Games. However, in 1931, her life took a literal nosedive. Her cousin, a skilled pilot, had invited Betty to join him for a ride in his plane. As they were cruising above Chicago, the engine stalled, and the plane plummeted back toward Earth. The cousin's legs were broken in multiple places, but he survived. Betty fared much worse. Her body was discovered by a passerby, who assumed that she was too far gone to be saved. One of her legs and her left arm were twisted, having been broken in several places. She also had a massive wound over her right eye, and she wasn't moving. A good Samaritan picked her up and placed her in the trunk of his car before taking her to the local undertaker that he knew. But when this undertaker got her on the table, he noticed something strange. She was breathing. Doctors worked tirelessly to save her, putting a rod and pin into her leg before encasing it in a cast running from the top of her foot all the way to her hip. Nobody thought that she would ever walk again, and running seemed to be out of the question. Six months after the accident, Betty was finally able to lift herself out of her wheelchair. With her brother-in-law's help, she went from a few steps here and there to walking around her neighborhood. The walking led to running, and before she knew it, Betty was training again. Five years passed, but by 1936, Betty was finally ready to compete again. Unfortunately, her injuries had left her unable to bend her knee and assume the starting crouch for the 100-meter race. Instead, she entered the 4x100-meter relay with three other women. They were up against the Germans, who had been favored to win. The race got off to a rocky start with the Germans coming out strong. Betty was slotted as the third runner of the race. As she ran toward her teammate to pass her the baton, the German competitor dropped theirs, giving Betty's teammate an opening to steal the lead which she did. It took five years, a broken leg, and a lot of rehabilitation, but Betty Robinson had earned her second gold medal. She hadn't merely overcome adversity, though. She had cheated the very powers of death and won. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. 
Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.